as we open God's word. We've already sung his praise today, uh, sung about the great love that we're to have for, for one another, but also the love that Jesus has for us. And today we turn uh, to the word of God, uh, to 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with the second verse. In 1 Peter 2, beginning with the second verse, the apostle wrote this, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through... Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen, a precious stone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message which is also what they were destined for. But you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand for the reading of our gospel lesson. Our gospel lesson is taken from the 14th chapter of John's gospel, beginning with the first verse. And Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You have troubled hearts today? Jesus invites you to come to him. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know, the, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. 
Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me anything in my name, and I will do it. This is the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have an opportunity to be gathered together today. Lord, that by your Holy Spirit you gather us. You call us into this family to be nourished by your word. And I thank you that as we're nourished in the truth of your word, we begin to experience a transformation in our own lives. It's your Holy Spirit causing us to to repent and to see things from your perspective and to live according to your way. So I pray that you would do this work within us. Do it within me. Do it within everyone within this congregation. That we would be more and more like Jesus. So that then we would be sent. That we would go to make disciples. Baptizing. Teaching. Lord, thank you that you have called us into this mission. Thank you that you've equipped us with everything that we need. So Lord, through this message today... May the words of my mouth be of benefit to those who are gathered. I pray that by your spirit that we could all hear, understand, and trust. And ultimately, it's all to your glory and to your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we're in John's Gospel. We're looking at the 14th chapter of John's Gospel. It's a well-known passage. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Actually, within John's gospel, he gives seven I am statements. Statements about Jesus that reveal who he is. So in John's gospel, there are seven I am statements. And these statements, they give us a fuller and more complete understanding of who Jesus is. Jesus told us, he said that I am the bread. I am the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He said, I am the gate or the door. By me, if anyone enter, he'll have everlasting life. He said, I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the vine. So John's gospel includes seven I am statements. And this is very significant because in Exodus, God revealed himself to Moses this way. He called himself, God called himself, I am. I am. Moses uh, was before the burning bush and Moses asked, what shall I tell them when, when I'm asked, well, who, who, who is your God? And through the burning bush, God said, simply say to Pharaoh, I am has sent you. So we call God the great I am. And these I am statements, or, or, or what God said to Moses at the burning bush, when he said to, to Moses, I am has sent you, I am is God it, does, it teaches us some things about God. Just that phrase, I am. 
It, it teaches us that God is all-powerful. That He is self-sufficient. The I Am statement says that, that God is, is the omnipresent God. So there are some things that we learn when God revealed Himself to Moses as the great I Am. We learn some things about God from that statement. God doesn't need anybody. He is self-sufficient in and of Himself. He is mighty and powerful even to drown Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea. But then Jesus comes along. And Jesus says, I am. And in the Gospels we learned that Jesus is true God in human flesh. Jesus is the great I am. And when we see Jesus in action in the Gospels, when we hear Jesus preach and teach, when Jesus reaches out and touches those, we, we gain a, a, a fuller and more complete understanding of who God is. The statement that God made of himself, naming himself I am, it teaches us some things about God. But it doesn't reveal to us everything about God. We get the fullest and most complete revelation of the character and of the nature of God in Jesus Christ. You really can't have a complete and full understanding of God unless you look to Jesus, who is the great I Am. God in human flesh, reaching down to help and to heal and to strengthen. And Jesus, he put it this way, he said, I and the Father are one. Jesus said, when you see me, you see the Father. Jesus is the great I am. Moreover, we believe from Scripture that the Father and the Son are one with the Holy Spirit. One God. Eternally existing in three distinct persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The great I am. But if we didn't have Jesus, if we didn't have the revelation of Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus, the record of Christ and the Gospels, we wouldn't have a very full or complete understanding of God. In Jesus, we receive the fullest and the most complete understanding of who God is that we possibly can have as finite human beings. And we need to understand that the triune God is the source of life and truth. Our God is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. And we need to remember this, that no one can be saved apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the great I am. Jesus is the way. 
He says, I am the way. Church, trust Him. Believe in Him. He is the way. We trust in Him not because He he knows the way. We trust in Him because He is the way. This reminds us of what Jesus said in John 10.9. He says, I am the gate. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Jesus says, I am the way. He doesn't just know the way. He is the way. Jesus is the truth. We can trust him because everything that he says and does is truth. Jesus not only knows truth, he is the truth. The fullest expression of truth is found in Jesus. And we could even say that what we learn within the physical world from science also comes through Jesus because we believe that Jesus created the universe. And we also confess from Colossians that all things in the universe are held together by Him. So from Him comes all truth. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. And then He says, I am the life. Whoever believes in Him has life. He doesn't know just a a way to, to live a good life. He Himself is life. He is eternal life. He's both physical life today and eternal life today and forever. He Himself is life. So Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So to to trust in Jesus is to be joined to him who is your way, your truth, and your life. So when you come to trust in Jesus Christ, you're joined to him. You're joined to him who is the way, the truth, and the life. His way becomes your way. His truth is your truth. And His life is your life. You're joined to Him. But to what end? What's the purpose? Certainly Jesus must have something special for us in this life. We know that he has something amazing for us uh, after this life when we enter into heaven. There's something amazing prepared for us in heaven, sure, but, but what about this life? What about your life today? Is this life simply a waiting room? A waiting room for the day that we enter into heaven? Or is this life more than a waiting room for heaven. Does Jesus have something exciting for us today? According to the verses that we read in today's gospel lesson from John 14, our lives as disciples on this earth is not a waiting room for heaven. 
We're not just waiting around for, for heaven. Jesus has something exciting for us. Look at verse 12 of John chapter 14. Verses 12 through uh, 14 of John 14. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus said, whoever believes in me, listen to this, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And then he says this, and they will do even greater things than these. Why? Because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He says, you may, may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now certainly, if, if I prayed for something selfish, something that would uh, simply just be a benefit to me, it doesn't mean he's going to grant that prayer. I could pray for a really nice car or truck, you know, my, my dream machine doesn't mean he's going to grant me that request. But when we request those things, when we ask those things that are according to his will, he promises to answer us. But he says this, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And they will do even greater works than these. Church, this life is not just a waiting room for heaven. We have a mission. We have a purpose. We have something to do today as we are joined to Jesus who is our way, our truth, and our life. Our lives today are to be lived as active disciples of Jesus Christ. We're actually called to join Jesus in his mission. We're called to be uh, in the active missionary work of our Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus is on a mission today, and we're to join him in that mission. Jesus said this in, in John. He says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Sending us where? He's sending us on his mission. But how do I figure out what my, what my mission is? What should I be doing today in Jesus' great missionary work? If I'm joined to him who is the way, the truth, and the life, and if he's calling me to join him in his mission, if this life today isn't just a waiting room for heaven, then what should I be doing today? How should I uh, figure out what my mission is? What's my plan? Well, we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. We, we open the Word of God. We read about Jesus' ministry. We can't join Jesus in mission when we don't know anything about Jesus, of what He said or of what He did. But when we open the Gospels and when we read about our Savior, we, we learn what it means to live in this life as His active missionaries. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It's very basic. Open the Gospels. Read them. Take note of Jesus. And follow in His footsteps. And thanks be to God, He has given us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who empowers us, who enlightens us with His gifts. He gives us what He needs. After all, He is the way, the truth, and the life. We're joined to Him. 
We can't help but share in his mission. The Apostle Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 2.9. 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen people. That's you. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. God's special possession. You are God's special possession. You may think, you know, I'm not all that special. I'm not really worth that much. Many of us have grown up thinking that. We've had a very poor self-image of ourselves. But Jesus says you're his special possession. That you may do what? May declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So Jesus has a mission for us. But then I have to ask the question, this isn't God's waiting room here on earth. He has a mission for us. But to what end? Why the mission? Is the mission an end in itself? Is the mission simply for the sake of mission? Or is the mission leading to something greater? Here's the thing, church. We don't engage in mission for the sake of activity. Just so that we can remain active. A lot of people believe churches are healthy when they're really active. Well, the church can be very active and miss the goal, miss the point, miss the mission. The goal is stated in both our gospel lesson and our epistle lesson from 1 Peter chapter 2. The end goal of our mission is this, in John 14, 13, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Underline that word glorified. 1 Peter 2.9 That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You can underline that phrase, declare, declare the praises of. The end goal of our mission is to bring glory to God. It's not so that the world will say, look at that church. Look at that Christian. Look at that preacher. It's interesting, uh, <clears throat> Pastor Ed Stetzer, who writes a lot about the mission of the church and is a leader, uh, he went to a parking lot in London and there was um, a marker in the middle of the parking lot of a famous English preacher. The car's parked right over the top of it. And he said, that should be our goal as preachers. Not that we would have some monument erected in our, in our honor and glory. John says, his goal is that, John the Baptist said his goal is, is that he would decrease and that Jesus would increase. So church, our goal is not that we would bring glory and honor to us, to our programs, to our mission, to our success, to personalities, people like me, just sinners that mess up all the time. But our goal is to bring honor and glory to Jesus because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the way, the truth, and the life.
So we are called to bring glory to God, not only in the gathering of the church on Sunday morning, but in a life of obedient service to God, that our whole lives would be lived out 24-7 as an expression of worship bringing glory to God. One of the catechisms uh, of the Reformed Church says that humanity's chief end is to glorify God. Humanity's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And the good news is this, is that the great I am, the self-sufficient, the all-powerful, the omnipresent triune God who drowned Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea, He humbled Himself. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the only begotten. Jesus, God in human flesh, He died, He was buried, and on the third day He rose again. He has saved us by His death and resurrection to bring glory to Him and to enjoy Him forever. He is the great I Am. He is the way and the truth and the life. Listen to me closely today. Your sins are forgiven. Not because of your own goodness, but because of the grace of Jesus Christ. You're on His path. You have Him who is the truth. You're in His truth. And you have life, His life, today and everlasting. Does this mean life is easy? I mean, everything's going to go well. After all, we're joined to Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Certainly, that means I'm not going to have any problems, right? No. The life of discipleship, the life that we're living today, is not easy. Because, again, he's calling you to engage in mission. He's, in call, he's calling you into the darkness of this world to be the light of Jesus. And this isn't an easy thing. The Bible says that many, they don't like the light. They're repelled by the light. Sometimes I am too. My wife turns the lights on early in the morning. Ugh. We don't always like the light. Because light reveals things. It reveals the truth. It reveals the, path, the, the fact that we're not on the right path. It reveals the, the fact that we're not alive but we're dead. People want to do things their own way. I think one of the saddest songs in the world is the song, I Did It My Way. Any of you know that song? If you're young, you don't. <laughs> I did it my way. I don't want to do life my way. I want to do life Jesus' way. And I think many people in this world who are walking in the darkness right now would agree. They would say, I've been trying to do life my way, and it hasn't worked. They want Jesus' way. And we're here to witness to the reality of Jesus that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And this is a difficult thing. And I was reflecting upon our missionaries to Africa. Uh, we sent missionaries to Africa a long time ago. And this is actually just a, a picture that Eric 
uh, sent to me. This is one of the difficult things they have to deal with is traveling. And I'm going to talk a little bit about traveling here in this next story. Dan Vinberg put that Land Rover in dugout canoes to cross the river with it. <laughs> you see that? Those are dugout canoes that the Land Rover is in. The mission isn't easy. It's difficult. Our first missionaries left for Africa from New York City uh, November 23rd, 1918. They boarded a ship and left for Africa in 1918. Uh, they did not receive permission from the government in Africa to start missionary activities until May 21st, 1923. Five years, over five years of patiently waiting to begin their mission in Africa. Then it took years before our first African brothers and sisters were baptized. From the time they left New York Harbor until they had their first baptized believers in Africa was seven years. Not easy. But the Revenies were committed to the mission. They sensed that the Lord had called them to Africa to bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who were walking in darkness. I want to tell you the story of the first converts. Uh, one of the difficult things in, in Africa, and it still is very difficult, is traveling, uh, especially during the rainy season. At some point in time, they, they received a, a, a Ford Model T and it was just a huge blessing for them to be able to have that Model T in low gear to basically crawl over most roads. Eric, he said that when you were a kid, you used to play on that Model T. Anybody else here ever see the Model T in Africa? Yeah, a number of you, some of you have. Still there at our mission in Africa. Well, one day, missionary uh, Revney he was uh, pausing on a spring day in 1928 to cool off the motor of his reluctant Model T on a trip. And he encountered a, a man named Dang Dang. Um, he was a gray-haired and sad-looking spirit man. The medicine man, a spirit man, somewhat of a leader uh, in his tribe. And uh, Dang Dang, he, he uh, became an early seeker. He often walked 27 miles from his home to the mission station just so that he could talk with the missionaries. Walked 27 miles. And uh, the Lord of the Harvest heard Dang Dang's earnest cry, and the light of the gospel broke into his soul and radiated from his entire person. That day, because that Ford Model T needed to be stopped on that spring day, Revney saw Dang Dang was able to share the gospel with him, share the message of Jesus. Dang Dang destroyed his pagan altar of sacrifice, made a complete break with his sinful past. He joined the catechism class and became one of the first three Masana believers to be baptized. Then Dang Dang, he began, to, he began to bring new inquirers with him at, at almost every trip he made to the mission statement. Among these were the medicine man, Fokna and Wari, who later became an evangelist. 
Missionaries soon began to visit their village regularly, and the number of new male inquirers increased rapidly. The women, thinking that the new religion was not for them, did not respond to the gospel at first. Then one day, as the missionaries visited Dang Dang's home, they noticed an elderly woman named Pata lying on a straw mat under a tree, very ill. They spoke to her about Christ, gave her some medicine, prayed for her, and then went on their way. See how this reflects Jesus? Sounds just like Jesus, doesn't it? The Lord healed her body, and the Holy Spirit continued to speak to her soul. Pata opened her heart to the Lord and became the first convert among the Masana women. Soon converts, both men and women, went out to the neighboring villages to witness to their Lord. And from these outlying villages, great numbers came to the mission station to hear the gospel message. Sounds just like Jesus, doesn't it? Sounds like the book of Acts, right? This is what Christ has called us to today. Now, our church in Africa consists of hundreds of thousands of people. Because these missionaries, the Revenues, and then others that followed, many went to the mission field and died. They died of fever. Some of our missionaries were murdered. But they went for this purpose. They understood that this life is not a waiting room for heaven. They went there to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today in heaven and in Africa, countless, countless souls are giving praise and honor and glory and worship to Jesus. Because they have found him who is the great I am, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And for this, we are so filled with gratitude. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. Thank you that we have opportunity to be gathered. We have opportunity to hear your word. And today we even have opportunity to come forward to this altar to receive the sacrament of Holy Communion. So strengthen us in these things, that we would go forth as your missionary people, to your glory and to your honor. And all of God's children say, Amen.